Cliffcentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. Champions, that is the West Indies team, World T20 champions again. They won it in 2012. They won it again now in 2016. And that's what everyone's talking about right now. And after such an amazing final, they look dead and buried. It looked like the English were going to win something. But then, well, that just sounds strange in itself, saying English are going to win something. We're going to catch up with the cricket today. We've got Dan Liefke from Australia. He's going to help us get into the cut and thrust of what's happening in that World T20. It's not just about really repetitive, really bad songs from cricket players. But still, I'll give this to you, DJ Bravo. Any day better than Fireball, that Proteus piece of crap. At least you guys can actually have a song because you won something. So, cool stuff, eh? Like, West Indies, showing why sport is something worth watching all the time. Because you never know when the big upset's going to come. Not, not that last night was an upset, of course. But I'm saying, like, when you can just support a team for just loving what they do. That's exactly what it is. We're going to get into that in our first big feature today. It's the first time I've ever seen a captain get up there after a match and just say, you know what, this is about the team. Screw all your administrators, the board. You guys are a bunch of pricks, basically. You've done nothing for us. This game is about us, so we're going to celebrate it amongst us. It's just so cool. you got to love the West Indies, if nothing else, just for that. So we're gonna, that's going to be a big part of the show today. We've also got a wrap-up of your Super Rugby, uh, usual stuff there, uh, and then it is Masters Week. Oh, the excitement of it all. Masters is like uh, it's like Christmas for me in a golfing sense, really. So we've got Barry Hovengar from Golf Digest. He's going to be talking to us about that to find out who the sort of winners are going to be, or sorry, the, the, the favorites are. Uh, something about the tournament, what makes it so unique, and why this year could, in my opinion, be the greatest year in majors history for quite some time. We've got so many good players who are all in form at the moment. And uh, who knows, you could be singing the Green Jacket champion song. You imagine that, whoever wins in the weekend gets in the Green Jacket and starts doing the champion dance. Yeah, good things. Right, so that's pretty much what we're going to look forward to today. You can get in touch with us if you're listening live. The number for studio here is 0861-555-189. You can tweet me at Follow the Bounce. Uh, yeah, just if you've got anything to say about the topics or you want to bring up anything along with the guests, feel free. Otherwise, off, if you're listening live on the WeChat, Cliff Central official account. If you send a message there, it'll come up on the screen. I think today is a new record. I have, I think, five screens ahead of me here. Uh, just so much to try and get through here. I've got lots of tables and things to look at. And, of course, I've got DJ Bravo in the background at all stages. Right, so that is what's going to be look forward to for this afternoon. Sorry, this morning. Getting so tongue-tied already. It's excitement about the show today and all the various things to get into. But before we get into our guests, let's quickly just run through the headlines. Duncan in the control booth here, making sure everything runs smoothly. Big story that broke over the weekend. Is there doping in UK sports? Now, doping in, in or doping worldwide is such a big deal nowadays. I mean, it wasn't just the cyclists. It's not just the athletes. It's everywhere. It really is. And I think it's going to come down to the fact that the ones that are getting away with it, the ones that are doing well with it, 
are the ones that are hiding it, not because they're not doing it. So it's Olympic year. So the doping is like, well, it's an extra priority case right now. And uh, so this new dude has come out, uh, Dr. Boner, uh, B-O-N-A-R. You pronounce that however you feel you, you want to. Uh, Dr. Bernard Boner, this guy, apparently said in a Sunday Times tabloid exclusive, which straight away, you can't really trust it too much. Anyway, this is what we got to go on at the moment. This Dr. Bernard Boner, he said that around 150 people like prominent sports stars in the English Premier League football. We're talking tennis stars here, uh, cycling, of course, and he says there's even a cricketer in the mix. They've all gone through his practice, and what this guy does is that he, well, allegedly, what he does is that he can mask the effects of, of drug taking. So when Lance Armstrong's big things kind of broke, he had doctors. I think it was Dr. Ferrari. I'm not making that up. I think that was the guy's genuine name. Dr. Ferrari was the speed specialist, of course. <laughs> they would find ways of pumping the EPO into your blood. So they would do these sort of like drug transfusions. And it was all obviously very scientific. It was all very cleverly done. So this guy is suggesting that he's done the same thing. But now if this is true, and again, let's not speculate too much in this right now because we don't know all the facts. Basically what, what uh, WADA and all those people are saying is that this guy was unregistered so he's not really in the jurisdiction so we can't they, they can't put a you know put the markers on him so now there's a big time investigation going on in the uk around this and uh 150 people could be implicated so th- that's what that's all we know at the moment is that he does various things from epo uh steroids growth hormones all that kind of stuff and obviously everyone at the moment is just denying everything. But the more they dig, the more they can find. It'll be interesting to see what the UK does because they're normally the ones who call file on other nations doping. So this is going to, I mean, this will open football up wide open here. Like you wouldn't believe it'll be, you know, it'll be a dark, dark day. So running through the Super Rugby results in the weekend, Highlanders 32 20 over the force. We'll get into this at the end if we have some more time, but Lions 37, Crusaders 43. It's a very disappointing result there for the Lions because they're a good side. They play great rugby, blah, 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 blah. But games like this, they have to win. They really do. And I said as much last week is that this is a pivotal game for them. They need to go far in this tournament for South African interests. And they are definitely good enough to beat the Crusaders. And they were on Friday, but just too many soft tries, just too many soft moments. And unfortunately, that's just been the hallmark of the Lions rugby for so long. As good as they are, they've got to get rid of the other stuff. Saturday's matches, the Blues are too good for the Jaguars. That was kind of predictable. This Jaguars team is not going to do amazing things this year. It's fair to say that now, whether home or away. Slightly disappointing, still finding the feet, despite having a quite a big national sort of team there, as far as Argentinian rugby interests are concerned. 24-16, they went down to the Blues. The Chiefs, these title-contending Chiefs, they're oh, such a good team to watch. It was pretty close in the half, in sorry, even in the second half with the Brumbies. Of course, this game was being played in Canberra. 48-23 and score there for the Chiefs. Kings, they had a narrow win uh, over their sort of what they could be called uh, talent derby team. That was 33-28 over the Sunwolves. The Kings won that one. Bulls, 23-18 over the Cheetahs. And the Rebels, definitely announcing they're the second best team in Australia right now. 21-17 over the Waratahs in Sydney. That's a big result for there for the Rebels. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to see exactly what's gone wrong with the Waratahs. I know they lost their coach and a few other things didn't go their way, but they should still have good enough players to maintain the form, which sold them against the final two years ago. 
and if it wasn't for a final minute penalty kick from the halfway line, um, well, maybe they wouldn't have won that. Sorry, they won it. Didn't get the finals. They were champions. Yeah, so it's always a shame to see big teams fall, but they are definitely falling. Cricket will touch on that uh, with Dan. It's going to be our next feature. But yeah, it's a big, big thing for West Indian cricket. Um, we've got the women's World T20 champions, the men's World T20 champions, under 19 world champions. And yesterday, oh, what a win. What a four-wicket win over England. And that was a game that just had all the highs and lows. Both teams started terribly. Both teams finished rather good. But nothing came close to Brathwaite's just sensational hitting at the end there. And, I mean, if you go onto my Facebook page, just go onto um, uh, Facebook and find the bounce, you'll find the video or the actual clip of those four sixes, the, the whole over. And you just see how Stokes was trying, 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 but he could not hit that mark. He didn't try any variation. He just kept thinking, I'm going to hit that Yorker. And Brathwaite just kept hitting it out of the ground. English Premier League over the we- weekend, Leicester are still on top. Of course they are. They're not just on top. They've gone further on top. They are now seven points ahead of Spurs. Now they've played 32, seven points ahead on Spurs, 69 to Spurs, 62. Big win for Arsenal. They won 4-0 against Watford. Spurs drew with Liverpool. So Spurs actually lost a bit of uh, momentum there. Uh, so Leicester's 1-0 over Southampton gets the 169, Spurs 62, then with a game in hand is Arsenal on 58. Uh, mathematically speaking, they're still in the mix, but not really. Also with a game in hand is Man City, who won 4-0 as well, handsomely over, over Bournemouth, at Bournemouth. And then you've got Man United, who basically are fighting out for Man City, with Man City for that last spot in Europe. So there's always subplots that end up in the time of the season, but Leicester City, seven points clear. It, it's cool. If you don't like the team, then you must have something really against Cinderella stories. I know if you support Spurs, this could be your season. That's why you don't want them to win. Fair enough. But if you're not, you don't have a dog in this, this fight particularly, you've got to support Leicester. It's such a great story. In La Liga, the big, uh, El Clasico match. Now, I had this theory last week that, um, basically I'm a massive sporting jinx. Every team I back, they lose. So I thought, okay, I'm going to support Boston for the rest of the year and see how they do. Well, my very first game as a Barcelona fan, they they lost for the first time in 39 matches. They they lost, so it was it was a pretty boring sort of first half. But what a second half it was! Uh, Barcelona going down to ten men, and then Ronaldo just whenever he can get one up over Messi against Barcelona, he will try take it. And Saturday was his game. Two one Real Madrid there, still with a title shot. But you got to think Barcelona is still going to win that one. But now, as I'm a fan of theirs, I could jinx them out of that. Nedbank Cup last eight, last sixteen. Marquesi FC took a hammering to it, 6-0. Polokwane City, too good for Platinum Stars, 2-1. Marisburg United going down to Black Aces, 2-0. Sundowns, too good for Umbombella United, 3-1. And then Santos going down to Free State Stars, 0-1 to the one, to the Free State Stars. Sunday's matches saw Pirates, this is their last chance of silverware, 3-1 over John McCosmos. Golden Arrows, that was the only real big um, upset, 0-2. Baraka FC beating them with that one. Tuesday will be the next or the last match of the last 16, and that will see Super Sport United take on University of Pretoria, the big Schwane derby. It's Tuesday, 7.30 SA time. On to golf. The uh, Houston Open had, had a pretty good field. I mean, if you look at it, Phil Mickelson was playing, Charles Swartzel, Ricky Fowler, Henrik Stenson, Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson, all guys who will be, you would imagine, on form, and of course just world rankings, real contenders for this weekend's uh, Masters Green Jacket. But Jim Herman... Little known Jim Herman came out of the pack there, and he won by one. 
Stenson, looking back to his best form, still yet to win on the US PGA Tour. And Jim Herman just basically said, well, you have to wait a little bit longer, mate. One up, one shot more. I think 16 under was he finished on. Beautiful win for him, which means he also gets to go up Magnolia Lane and play at the Masters. And finally, of the headlines, the F1 of the weekend, the Bahrain GP. It started off with Mercedes 1-2 as usual. It didn't end 1-2 Mercedes, though. Nope. Lewis Hamilton got caught in a bit of a scuffle in the first corner. Rosberg went clear. Raikkonen then went into second. And Hamilton, as much as he tried, he was further back in the field and eventually he got a third. So still on the podium, 1-3 for Mercedes. Nice to see a bit of a mix-up there because seeing Mercedes get 1-2 every week is not doing anything for the sport. Nico Rosberg, though, fifth win in a row. Absolutely incredible achievement when you think. Lewis Hamilton has cast, cast a pretty big shadow of everything. And uh right now he's two out of two for this season and very much in the in the hunt. Right, so we're gonna get into the cricket feature. We've got Dan Leapke on the line. First I'm gonna play a little clip, just kind of summing up um a big thing I wanna talk about is this Darren Sammy. Uh absolutely shithouse with the bat all tournament. But what a captain he was and what an inspiration he is. It, it means a lot, you know. Um like I said in the post match I, I don't know when I'll have these guys in the dressing room. You look at the, the schedule, I don't see any T20 schedule for this year. You know, because of the system in the Caribbean, you know, um, we have a tri-series, and then we have a series against India, and we are not eligible for, for selection. So um, this tournament uh, meant a lot. You know, not only for me, but for, for the guys. And you, I said from the inception, we're playing for a cause. And I really want to commend the men for the way they've, you know, just put the focus into the cricket. And, you know, now the cricket is over, then we could deal with all the issues that we want to talk about. Uh, one of the things was that this team is really great and stuff, but when they're going to play again, uh, they're almost becoming cricketing mercenaries because their own board is so shit at just being cricket administrators. And it was such a refreshing thing to see a guy of a stature of an international captain like that just calling them out. Dan, you with us? I am Ben. Can you hear me? Yeah, perfectly as always. Your first world internet line is superior to anything we have here in South Africa. Good to hear. Very nice. Right, Dan, so there's so many things to touch on. and uh, We haven't got a whole bunch of time. So just t- talking about that final, would you reckon it was the best two teams to contest such a match? I think so. I, I think uh, I think that proved it. In- India were pretty spectacular when they were going, but the fact that the West Indies were able to chase them down and knock them over in that semi-final, I, I, think, I think West Indies definitely deserved to be there. And, you know, the, the, they seem to be able to chase anything, the West Indies. Yeah, very much like a hungry dog. You know, they really would chase everything with all that belief. The people were saying to Sammy last night, when did you think you were back in the game? And like, you know, 29 off the last two. And he was sitting there with a broad smile on his face. Like he'd just gone out for two. I mean, he's been terrible with the bat the whole tournament. The guy was smiling throughout. They always kind of knew something. And, um, but as far as England, they for me were a surprise package in the tournament. I, I, Originally, I felt they benefited from the fact that the Proteas are just such pathetic losers when it comes to cricket tournaments. But when you saw them in that final, maybe a bit more there than they get credit for. Yeah, I think England's big strength, and I think something they did talk up was their ability to bat all the way down. They had, they had people who've made first-class centuries coming in at number 11. Uh, so, so their philosophy was that they would just keep going hard the entire time, and it, it got them through a couple of tough situations. 
won amusingly enough against Afghanistan, where they <laughs> collapsed to six for nothing, but then Willie and Mo and Ali kind of got them to a decent defendable total. And again, in, in the final there, they, they collapsed pretty much early on, but they just kept going. There was very, not much of a period of consolidation. They just, they were either going to get all out for 80 or they were going to make a reasonably defendable total, which, which they pretty much did. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Just funny on that Afghanistan. I mean, the two teams that they took closest or obviously beating West Indies were the, were the two finalists. And I think South Africans can look back and say, well, you know, it wasn't such a bad thing. The only game we won was against Afghanistan. So yeah, I think I, I, I've, I've pretty much decided that Afghanistan, because they beat the World T Twenty champions, that must make them like Universe T Twenty champions or something. Well, it's got to be something and something official within the next couple of days before people forget. Definitely. So just looking at this tournament itself, though, I mean, I, I find T Twenty a fascinating thing because sure you can laugh at us, hit and giggle. Unfortunately, the IPL is going to get played right now as of this weekend. So we've had this great spectacle, but now T20 is going to go back to just being fireworks, cliches, and um, you know sponsorship. But I find it fascinating how it has evolved in that you can definitely see skill sets changing. Would you say that T20 is actually starting to finally and truly add something to the cricketing landscape? I think it probably does. I think a few nations... Uh, are falling behind. I mean, Australia are terrible at T20. That, that's that's well established. I'm not sure South Africa are an awful lot better. And I, I, I think teams like the West Indies, uh, I mean, they, they've focused on, they, they're a team full of mercenaries, basically, as, as you said earlier. And th- they know how to play the game. They've, they've honed their skills in all these tournaments around the world. They, they know how to play the game properly. And it is a completely different way of playing cricket. Sure. So... Where cricket is right now, is it fair to say then that the West Indies are again a superpower in cricket? Sure, you don't want to, you, oh, don't, you don't want to play them in tests, but if you look at where, where cricket is and where all the spotlight is, they're doing really well in that they can kill it at T20. So, w- w- is it fair to say they're a superpower again? Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to, you've got to say they're a superpower in T20 cricket. Whether they could, tra- I, I think the next stage would be to try and translate at least some of that form to ODI level, which I don't think they've really done recently. Um, and then, you know, then the next step is tests. But whether whether or not they even care about tests or, or ODIs is debatable. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's fair to say they're a T20 superpower. But I think you've got to be good in all three forms to be a, a universal superpower. It does kind of, I mean, recently I watched that uh, Death of a Gentleman documentary, which is really good because it does cover a lot of things, I thought, especially if you don't know too much about this whole big three um, collaboration and stuff like that. But if the West Indies can just do this and all the people who want to start playing cricket in the West Indies just want to do this, is it going to create a kind of create a divide where teams are going, you know what, we're not a big enough or rich enough nation to really compete in test matches. Let's just focus on these tournaments rather. And then our players, well, they just want to focus on the franchises. Do you reckon that could be more defined after something like this? I, I think it's very, I think that's very likely. I think, uh, I think there's a real risk of a lot of, lot of nations go, going that way. I, I think the West Indies, I, I can't see any way that they can get these players back playing tests. Uh, I, I, why, why would you, as a player, that they make so much money out of these T20 franchises that there's absolutely no incentive for them to play tests? And it really has to change at an ICC level, I think, if if they want to do anything about it. Which uh, I think, without being too cynical or skeptical, I don't think that's ever going to happen. No, that's not going to happen at all. So, just getting on to the Aussies, uh, isn't a massive priority, of course, yeah. because you know they are such a great side. They are the best in the world, and you know 
test ODIs. They've got all the World Cups and stuff like that. Is it not more of a like a bit of an experimentation ground then for them going forward? And if you look at their selectors, they're all a bunch of old farts. Really. No one's even played a T20 on that panel. Um, you've got Steve Smith having to herd cats here as well as the other formats. Is it not something that could be more experimental as a format for a nation as strong as that? I think Australia. I think Australia missed a real trick in not being more experimental. They, they, they've had good players in the Big Bash. At most, they had two or three warm-up games against India just before the World T20 for, for some of those players. Uh, and if they didn't fire, which some of them didn't, so like a player like Chris Lynn, for example, he's dynamic in the Big Bash. And I, I think you give him a little bit of a run at international level, and he could have been anything during that during that series. But uh, but they gave him a couple of games. He didn't fire on those two games, and and that was it. He's gone. So and Australia plays so few T Twenty internationals. He may not have another chance for another year. Well, I think in twenty fifteen they played all of one. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a bit crazy. And then what, what happened with with your women though? I thought they were going to be world's best, like those Kiwi women are in rugby. They they uh, they were they were going for the four peat, and I think the West Indies women decided that four peat is such a terrible word that for the sake of the English language they had to defeat them. So uh, the West Indies women got up with a one peat. <laughs> now, Dana, something I really enjoy about your your tweets is that you don't really you know suffer any fools or hold back on any bullshit. This whole thing about the World Cup being something that you know the associate nations can be very much a part of, um, very much the women are getting involved as well now. When you look at it as an outsider, you think, wow, this is absolutely incredible. How the hell does a sport not only get the first and second tier, supposedly, but women playing in the same thing? I mean, no other sport can really do that. You don't see women teeing off first before the men like the masters or anything like that. Is this the way we should be kind of looking at things or... You know, is, is it the other sort of more old farty school of thought saying, you know, maybe we're diluting it if we're going to add too much to one platform? I, I, don't, I don't think there's any risk of diluting it at all. I think it was fantastic to see the women playing in particular alongside the men here. That's clearly the way to build interest in the women's game. And the, the more associates, the better. I, I seriously don't see any reason to, to limit the number of teams you have in this competi- competition. Make it more of a knockout if you have to to, to yeah. you know get get rid of get rid of lesser ranked teams, but get them in there, give them a chance. We saw how brilliant Afghanistan were. They they you know they beat the team that eventually went on to win the comp, and they ran a few other teams close. They 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 played brilliantly. Um, so yeah, I, I think get as many of those teams in it as you can, and and just see what happens. Yeah, look, it's it's it is a, it's a fair point. And I think one of the big discussions has been. I mean, I'm picking this up on Twitter. You get like this. So it's becoming like a mainstream voice now. It's about the, oh, you know, we need the associates, we need the associates. And you get people saying, well, you know, they can prove themselves elsewhere. But the problem is now, it's all great and well. We're all celebrating the West Indies. We're all celebrating how cool the tournament has been. The reality being, though, that there is no anywhere else. So now it's four years until the next T20. Uh, and these guys aren't going to be guaranteed the next World Cup, uh, the one day anyway. So it really has got to be ICC going to think, well, now the time is to create these other things. You know, you said earlier, like the ICC needs to step in for the West Indies to become a test force again. Is it something that these guys, I mean, is a far team against Thunder here, or do they have the means to actually try to create these two things? It really depends. I, I, I think the issue is that the ICC technically aren't a governing body, which, you know, to, to get into the boring technicalities at all, they don't really have a say. They can't tell or take control of the funding or, or do anything like that. 
in an, in an ideal world, all, all the funding, all the TV rights would go to the ICC and they'd be distributed to the, to the nations far more fairly than they are at the moment. And then, and then you could, you know, I mean, you could afford to pay the West Indian players to play tests, to play ODIs, and, and you could afford to pay, pay these associate nations more. And you could afford to get as many teams as you wanted in. But the, 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 the real issue is that there's just no governing body in place to accept that money. So it all just falls down to the richest countries. And we've seen how poorly that works. Well, that was the most succinctly put way of how the money system works. We I mean, guys have tried to describe it to me in a lot more convoluted senses. So that's kind of what it is. If the ICC was what they what they try to be, then it's a chance. But otherwise, there is no chance. But interesting that um, one of the West Indies players, I can't remember which one it was now, they said that the BCCI treats them better than the WICB does. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that. Well, I, I think the BCCI via the IPL, I, I think they're, being, they're defining being treated well as getting money. So uh, I, I think that's, that's how it goes, yeah. Right, well, another massive talking point from yesterday was Marlon Samuels. Now, it's the second time he's the got time. man of the match in a World T20 final. And, uh, you know, 80-odd in both innings. Didn't really see it coming, i got to say. I, I thought Samuels was kind of past it, but what an innings it was. Uh, the, the feud with Shane Warne, has that, has that been bubbling under or is it just, you think both of them might have taken it's too far now? Oh, I, I don't think there's any harm in it. I, any, anybody who makes fun of Shane Warne's face is okay by me. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't convinced about Samuels, but it's, uh, when he brought that up at the press conference, there, he's, he's fine again. I'm, I'm back on his side. Yeah, because when, after the match, when he had his first interview, he was talking about, um, I don't know, like he's, he's not the, not the easiest guy to understand. He was telling how the, the trophies for Shane Warne and this and that. You know, and he also dogged uh, Mark Nicholas in there, didn't he? It was him or Darren Sammy. Sam. Uh, yeah, I think Mark Nicholas said something about how they weren't thinking cricketers. I, I, I didn't quite get the, the full story in that one, but that, that was the gist of it, I think. And uh, I, I, I believe Mark Nicholas has come out and he's basically written an apology on Crick Info today saying that, that that was pretty much taken out of context. It was more meant as a tongue-in-cheek side reference or, or something. Well, whatever it is, he was totally back in front of the world. It was great. So the, the Samuels feud, obviously, it stems back from a little big bash, a uh, bit of a, a jersey tug here or there. But, you know, this whole thing of like, players feuding, that kind of stuff, it's a it's a big Aussie thing, though, isn't it, Dan? I mean, like, if we if we boil down all the common denominators here, there's definitely an Aussie involved. Is this just, do these guys never know when to stop antagonizing the other guys? Oh, must must be a terrible coincidence, Ben. I can't I can't imagine that the Australians being in the middle of all these controversies. Sounds very unlikely. (laughs) Right. So so we're we're two with the Aussie side now. Um, What's the sort of what's the schedule looking like for the rest of the year? Is is there a chance to kind of get the get past this in a T twenty sense, or is it back to just ODIs and and tests? Uh, As far as I'm aware, it's just back to. I think uh, a few of the players will be playing in the IPL, of course. Uh, then as the Australian team, they've got a tri-series, I think with South Africa over in the West Indies yep. in yep. May, maybe, May or June. Yep. It's a, and yeah, then it's a big old winter break before we come back and play the Kiwis here in, in winter. Yep. And then, then, uh, Australia have a test tour of Sri Lanka shortly after that in July. So I think that's the, that's the immediate future. And then of course we have South Africa visiting our shores along with Pakistan during, during the Australian summer. Super. Dan, just from your from your perspective, what do you reckon really is the problem with the, with the Proteas? Because over here, like it's such a dead topic, people have actually just given up. I think you would be so hard pressed to find anybody in a South African supporters shirt here, 
I mean, I'm even talking on game day. It just doesn't happen. Whether they've been burned or they've been sold or just thrown away. Is there like a standout thing that you've seen over the last few years or for as long as you watch international cricket? Oh, that's a big question, Ben. I mean, I've, I've been watching South Africa for for a long time. I, I think, I mean, to be honest, I think you guys are really hard on them. I think, I think, uh, I think they they've been a damn good side for a long time. They've come off the boil recently a little bit, but they've lost a few good players, and some of the other players are getting a bit older. Yeah, you know, I mean, Australia went through a similar thing after we lost some of our champion players, and I, I think you just got to get used to the fact that you can't always be on top. And, you know, they, they were on top in tests, and I get the sense that South Africans don't necessarily care about test cricket quite as much as Australians do. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there from, from an Australian perspective. We, we, we see how awesome South Africa were at tests, and we, we were in awe for the, you know, they, they were great for about the last four or five years. Look, I, I think the ones that are gainfully employed in this country, we, we do love the tests pretty much. That's our pinnacle, and especially the test series against Australia. I mean, later this year, that this is what we kind of live for in a cricketing sense. But whenever a team goes through a slump, if you look at, I don't know, all of them, um, <laughs> there's a trophy there somewhere, okay? And even with England, when they had a, a pretty much 60% South African team in the West Indies, they won a T20 um, World Cup. Same with Australia, you know, there was all those superstars going, but you've still got World Cups to show for it. I think maybe South Africans are a bit hard. I you know we are quite a critical nation, but the fact that there's never a trophy, that is the one big thing. Do you reckon that's a, that in itself is a bit hard? Too much is driven on the trophies? Possibly. I mean, I, I can understand the frustration. You, you've come so close and they've, they've you know, just, just looking at, say, the ODI semi-final losses, they've all been such bizarre losses that I can understand how you feel as if it's just never going to happen. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I think it will happen for South Africa eventually, but it's, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of good teams out there and yeah. <laughs> a, a few unlucky tournaments, and the tournaments don't come around that often. So m- maybe it's just a matter of waiting until everything just clicks on on your particular tournament. Well, something that I did p- kind of pick up, um, and just before I let you guys, I want to play from the little Gary Kirsten interview I managed to get pre-tournament, is that a lot of these things kind of sometimes are just more like luck of the draw. Here's Gary's thoughts on that. I often think kind of uh, trying to win an event of this nature or playing professional sport is is kind of a bit hit and miss often and you kind of stumble upon something without knowing um, that it could work uh, there's a guy who's been around the block and he's obviously been all over for him to say something like that is something that maybe South African fans can you know, take heed of problem is though it's like you know it's, it's so nice and easy to say well you know what had a bit of a luck of the draw there didn't go away against England didn't go away against West Indies but in T20, you've got one moment. You've always just got one moment. And I think the players just aren't adapting. Um, and I think the great thing about the West Indian team is you look at those guys, they all, I mean, Dwayne Bravo spoke about it, that they're all match winners in their own right because they all want to do something. I just kind of feel that teams that are falling behind in the, in the T20s, it's that they more sort of wait and see rather than go and make it happen. So I think going forward, I think if, if teams and players adopt that that mindset more, there'd be less variables. I think South Africa always let it go down to these variables. Yeah, I, th- th- yeah, that that may well be true. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. As an Australian, I can offer much advice on how to play T20 internationals. Well, as Australia, Australia, I think have ranked below South Africa, so you could take some consolation in that, perhaps. Look, I think in in T20s, if you rank three to seven, you're the same team. If you if you yeah. wanted to, you might be better. But if you're eighth, you're shit. You mean Zimbabwe or somewhere? If you're three to seven, same thing. 
I think Australia came into this tournament ranked ninth or something terrible. They're, they're, they're really bad. <laughs> All right, Dan, what, um, you're still writing as much as you used to? Yeah, I'll have something up on the raw.com.au tomorrow about the finals for the World T20, so feel free to check that out. Okay, great. Dan, always appreciate your time. Thanks for your insights. I'm sorry, I had way too many questions for you today. I'm just, I always feel like this tournament is ending at the right time. My head was about to explode, and I've got to release some pressure now and talk about golf. It's the Masters week, so that's going to kind of set me straight again. Enjoy. Cool, Dan. Thanks for your time. You want to catch more Thanks, of Dan? Uh, catch him on Twitter at Dan Liebke. So it's Lieb Cricket, L I E B Cricket. Uh, I'll confirm that later with you because everything that happens in the show today all goes into a blog post. Whatever you've missed, uh, all the clips I play, everything else is all there. Next up, we have got Barry from Golf Digest. And to intro him in, I've got for you the whitest song in the whole world. It is the Masters theme tune. And Barry is going to come out after this. Here we go. Don't drop me now. Let's bring time in the valley. Sorry, here we go. That's it. Well, it's bring time in the valley on Magnolia Lane. It's the August National and the Master. Sunday afternoon Who walked that 18th fairway Singing this tune Augusta Your dogwoods and pines Barry, are you with us? Hello, Barry? No? Duncan? Augusta it's you that I love. It's you that I miss when I'm gone. Well, it's Watson, Byron Nelson, and Demerit, and Claire, and Steed. And it's Amen's Corner, and it's Hogan's Perfect Sway. It's Sarazen's Double Eagle. At the 15th and 35, and the spirit of Clifford Roberts that keeps it alive. Augusta, your dogwoods and pines, they play on my mind like a song. Are you with us? I am. Have you ever heard this version of the Masters theme tune? Every time this year. Well, I should say this time every year. <laughs> I've never heard it with the, with the words before. Yeah, I don't know where you got that version. I'm not sure if um, Augusta National would have sanctioned that version. <laughs> the chorus is quite summy. It goes into dogwoods and pines and... It really is quite something. I'm, I'm going to share this with the world after the show. I, I was going through the, the, you know, looking for the, the iconic tinkling of the ivories, and uh, this song came up. Sure, quite something. So, Barry, yeah. is this the tournament that you're most excited about every year? I'm going to put you on the spot first up. Absolutely. I think you know there's so many storylines heading into Masters Week every year. 
I think a lot of it's got to do with it's been seven months since the last major. So, you know, we had the PGA in, in August and then, you know, the, the tours go their respective ways and then we come back for, you know, what is the springtime in America. Um, but, you know, golf season is kind of uh, all, all year round now. But it's, it certainly is the, you know, the first real big tournament of the year uh, globally. And, you know, I think this year just so many, I mean, really good storylines. The uh, the top players, top ranked players, are, have all won or all in form. You know, Jason Day has gone to number one in the world. He's won twice. Uh, Adam Scott's won twice, and our South Africans are, are peaking nicely as well. So, yeah, it's just there's so many traditions about well at Augusta National that uh, you know, as the world kind of modernizes and, and everything is fast paced, Augusta is always a throwback to you know, um, the traditions of, of golf and sport. Oh, exactly. So just first up, if, in case you, anyone is wondering, Tiger's not playing this year. He still can't swing properly. Any more updates on where he is in his game right now? Well, it's always very cloudy with Tiger because, you know, he's, he's where, well, not his whereabouts, but he's, uh, <laughs> he's always kind of so closely guarded by his agent and management company. And um, they put out a statement last week saying that he's, He's not ready to, to play competitive golf yet. Um, you know, a couple of times in the past two, well, say five years, he's maybe rushed back from, from injuries to, to play Augusta because it's so special to him. Um, I do believe he'll be at the champions dinner tomorrow night, the Tuesday night. So, yeah, they need, you know, people are, that are new to golf and maybe new to the Masters, there really are such of great traditions at Augusta. You have um, Tuesday nights is where the all the past champions get together for a dinner, and the defending champion gets to choose the menu. Uh, five years ago, Charles Schwarzer won, and in 2012, as defending champion, he had uh, Borovors and Biltong uh, as part of his menu. Mm-hmm. And then on uh, the Wednesday nights before the before the first round on Thursday there's the part three contest. Um Augusta has a little well I'd say mashy course uh, as um as we would know it. And it's it's kind of the fun and made for two hour made for T V uh spectacle. And then yeah we kick off on uh, on Thursday with, with the first round. Well, it'll be a kickoff without Arnold Palmer this year. He physically cannot swing a golf club anymore. Does this mean that uh, Mr Gary Play will hit two? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah, that's a, another good point. Uh, before the, the first pairings go off on, on Thursday, they have a ceremonial, uh, a ceremonial tee shot. Uh, the old big three of Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, and Gary Player. And, uh, yeah, Arnold's health hasn't been too sharp. Uh, he's actually aged quite a lot of, he hosted the Arnold Palmer Invitational two weeks ago and, uh, he seems to be battling. I'm sure he'll be there uh, on the on the property, but I don't think uh, fit enough to just win the club, which is which is a shame. I heard a rumor that because Arnold's kind of on his way out, that uh, Tom Watson was going to come in and replace him. But then Gary Player was very against the idea, and actually told or the, the Augusta members not over his dead body. Uh, I haven't heard that myself, but um, <laughs> quite possibly <laughs> they have uh, they have had a few run-ins over the years. Going back to some uh, uh, disagreements about clubs and crews and rules and all sorts of things, but 
yeah, I'd like to think that in a environment, you know, as esteemed as Augusta National, those uh, kind of past indiscretions that have been put aside, and uh, you know, they're, they're all there to just to, to celebrate the tournament and the game. Sure. So look at the favorite lists. Jason Day is the new world number one, that amazing win at the match play, even though he seemed to have an aching back in the first round. So he goes into it as the bookie's favorite. Now, there's all kinds of stats that go into these things. I mean, a lot of the time, I think it's just making up column space, but they're saying that, you know, the only person to ever won the week before the Masters and, you know, there's like a whole like three or four guys. You reckon this is Jason Day's time, though? He has come so close in this tournament. He's kind of been there, thereabouts, between this and the U.S. Open. You know, he finally got the major off his back last last year with USPGA. Do you reckon Day is the money on favorite here and value for it? Uh, good value for it. I, I just have a feeling this year that there's so much attention um, and, and hype around the so-called new big three of Day, Spieth, and McElroy that I kind of... I've, feel that it's a little bit of a disservice to the, the kind of the second tier of, of stars, you know, Adam Scott, Bubba Watson, uh, Dustin Johnson, even Justin Rose. I, I just have a feeling that the, the winner will come out of those four rather than the, the big three. I think, uh, you know, McElroy has shown form this year, but he just he seems to be struggling to get it done on Sunday. Um, Spieth is, is not... Uh, playing as we, I think he's got some swing issues at the moment. You know, I watched him go on a charge last night um, in Houston, but then fall apart a little bit on the back nine. Uh, and I think his his short game can only um, carry him so far when he's not uh, when he's got some swing issues. Uh, Jason Day, I honestly believe that if we look, if we have this conversation in say five, ten years time, that out of these three. I think he might have the most majors if he keeps fit. Um, you know, it's, it's quite worrying that he has all these injury niggles at his age. Uh, but I just feel that he's got the, the, the scrambling ability um, and he really has that kind of killer instinct that, uh, you know, we saw with Tiger in his prime and the scrambling ability that Phil Mickelson had in his prime. Mm. So, but having said that, I, yeah, I believe that um, we, we might see a winner. Adam Scott, Bubba Watson, even Henrik Stenson, um, I think they are, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise if they won, but they might just upstage the uh, the big three. And talking about the big three, I think, uh, you know, our South Africans, we go into, it's the 80th Masters, and we've got uh, three, well, there are five South Africans in the field, uh, three of which have a, a really good uh, chance of winning. Uh, Schwarz Schwarzfall, you know, has won um, for the first time in America. He won a month ago uh, since his he, he, his first win since the uh, 2011 Masters. Louis Oosthuizen was second in 2012. Uh, he reached the final of the of the, the World Match Play last week, losing today. And Brandon Grace is um, you know a rising star. He had two top five finishes in majors last year, and I think very much more comfortable playing in America now. He built a home in West Palm Beach and you know it's not always a, a he, he's now based on the PGA Tour as well so I think he's much more uh, comfortable in the in the conditions the other two South Africans uh, Trevor Immelman and, and Ernie Els uh, make up the five who I don't think have uh, a legitimate, legitimate uh, chance you know to be in contention but having said that you know then um, 30, 30 years ago that Jack Nicholas. Produced that memorable final round, 1986, 
came from pit shots back in the final round at the age of 46 to uh, to win the Masters, his his sixth, sixth Masters title. So you never know. You know fairy tales are can always unfold in sport. Look at Leicester City and, and what's happening there. So you never know. Ernie, uh, maybe he's got one last rod of the dark left to, to try and grab a green jacket. Yeah, I think with players like that, and I don't want to just poo-poo what you're saying, because I mean, what you're saying is right. I mean, we see it more and more in sport nowadays. I mean, look at the, the cricket, rugby, whatever it is. But I just think Jack always had an aura about him. People knew he was on the charge. You know, Ernie's he's a spent force. I mean, if he finish, if he makes a top five nowadays on the European tour, he's pretty stoked. I, I think his time's definitely gone. And the fact he's never won at Augusta as well. I mean, the guy could have a two-shot lead going into 18. I think you'd probably find a way of yipping it. Just on your th- thoughts on Brandon Grace. Do you not think he hits the ball a little bit too low to do well in Augusta? Uh, I think he, he, he can actually work the ball uh, really well. I think he can, you know, hit it. Uh, oh, they all can. The players, you know, these mm. pros are just that once you get to the top twenty in the world, there's nothing you can't do with the golf ball. Sure, um, it's a good point. It's probably um, his his best chance at, at a major is probably going to be a, a, an Open Championship yeah. because of the, the course conditions and the wind. But, uh, yeah, I just feel that, you know, he's, he's really, last year was a, a huge confidence boost to him and, and belief in himself that he does belong in that upper echelon now and that he can perform in the majors. He came, you know, came close at, uh, at the U.S. Open and then uh, was in contention at the PGA as well. But I must just, I must just mention, you know, speaking about fairy tales and, and, and uh, you know, great stories, um, someone that you'll see a lot of this week, you get a lot of TV time, is the current U.S. amateur champion Bryson DeChambeau. Oh, I love this um, dude. And he, yeah, he's quite a character. He really is um, an exciting story for golf at the moment. Uh, won the U.S. amateur last year, and the uh, the, the NCAA finals, which um, is the, the college golf in America. He was only the, the fifth person to win both those titles in the same year. Um, he, he kind of he's a physics student. Uh, he sports a, uh, a flat cap that Ben Hogan made famous in the in the fifties and sixties. Um, and he he's just he's just a really interesting guy. He um, he studies a, um, a, a trainer, the golf swing uh, theory called um, the golfing machine, which has kind of twenty four components and one hundred and forty four variations, and he's got to um, one now where he, this is how he plays and he sticks to it. He doesn't, he's not how any, you know, what anyone thinks about it. And, um, all these irons are the same length. So, so it's the equivalent of a seven iron. He's, he's irons from three through pitching wedge are all the same, um, same length. And he's worked out that that's the best way for him to, to swing optimally. Um, and he also, he, he's quite a quirky guy. He takes, um, these new golf balls and puts them in Epsom salts. To see if they are perfectly round, and he, he claims that kind of um, one out of every two dozen is, um, you know, he, he tosses that out because it's not perfectly round. So he's just a, a really interesting guy, and in, in my opinion, at two hundred to one, he's a he's a pretty good each way bet. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all on Thursday evening to see him to see his name on the on the first page of the leaderboard. Uh, you look at a guy like that, and he obviously hasn't got his tour card yet for the USPGA Tour, right? So he's playing very limited events at this stage of his career. Correct, yeah. I mean, okay. he, he, as, a, as an amateur, he's been given a lot of invites. So he's, 
it's not like you know playing in a professional event now is, is new to him. Yeah. Um, he even there's, there's a there's a quite a nice story about McElroy was uh, heard about him and they were playing in Abu Dhabi um, earlier this year. Even uh, McElroy kind of was curious and walked over to his bag on the uh, on the practice team and started taking our clubs and having a look because of the you know the this uniqueness of this of this kid. So he's um, I, I, I do believe this will be his last tournament as an amateur before he turns pro, which is kind of nice in itself that he waited to play Augusta National oh, yeah. before turning pro because, you know, not sure when that opportunity would uh, would occur again because he's um, the U.S. amateur champion. Sure. He, but now, he gets into the field. So, so, Barry, what I ask was, so, you know, how does he prep for something like this? Can he literally go there two weeks prior and say, right, I want to play this course like every day? And is he, is he prepping in that sort of sense? Is that something these players oh, are yeah. able to do? Absolutely. Uh, once you once you receive your invitation, once you've qualified for the Masters, you can go there as much as you like. Really, you know. Um, he and that's the that's why I think he he's got a legitimate chance at contending because I think the last six months, that's all he's really done is, is um, well, not all he's done. He's played in professional tournaments, but he, you know, Augusta's been on his mind, and uh, he has spent a lot of time there uh, charting the golf course and speaking to. Um, you know, former champions and, and gaining as much knowledge as he can about the uh, about the house. That's fascinating. What a cool story. Well, very we're running out of time, but uh, the last point I want to bring up with you is the first Masters without the broomstick handle putters. Now, if a player wasn't going to regress into the yips uh, before, I think Augustus Greens will definitely do it. How do you how do you reckon, Adam? I mean, I'd love to see Adam Scott win this one. He was so good like a month ago. You know, he went back to back on like the big USPJ Tour events. Do you reckon it'll be any sort of feature? I mean, do you think Augusta could break his putting? No, I, I actually, I'm inclined to, to, to say that. I think the anchoring ban is the best thing that happened to Adam Scott. Um, you know, he won the Masters and then kind of, um, not disappeared, but just, you know, battled for a couple of years, really went through some putting woes. And, and now that he is forced to commit himself to the, the you know, not anchoring, um, you know, you, you can still use a longer putter, but just it can't be anchored against your body. Yeah. Um, I think the the, the proof of, of these two wins um, has 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 shown that you know he's he's now been forced to commit to that uh, that way of putting, and, and I, I'm I'm going going to go with him this week between him and Bubba Watson. Uh, those are those are my two picks for for uh, the back nine on Sunday. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you. I think there's too much hype around this top three because I think it's a false thing. And what you said is perfect. The guys below that, it's a bit of a disrespect to them. I think Day, there's too much hype around it. Max Roy, not consistent enough. There's just too much gym involved there. And I think Spieth is just battling this year to kind of you know keep up with where he was last year. So to have a repeat like this, I'm not saying he's ever going to be a one-hit wonder, but it's very difficult to have another hit single, like in musical terms, after you've just blown the world away with one. So agree completely. I totally agree with you. I think to really look for the favourites here, we're looking at the Bubba, uh, Bubba Watson, Adam Scott. You know, it'd be so nice to see a guy like Dustin Johnson, Henry Stenson come up. Phil Mickelson's got the experience. Ricky Fowler, where he's got the bottle for Augusta. He has finished top five before. So, yeah, like Louis Oosthuizen. And, and, and a nice little each way back from Louis Oosthuizen at 25 to 1. Uh, you could be very happy on Sunday night laying uh, a couple of hundred rand on him each way. For sure. Barry, where else can we find you? Obviously, Golf Digest Africa rearing is ahead as a magazine as always. Um, we can get that in all leading uh, stores. On Twitter, you're at Loose Impediment. That's the one. Yep. Uh, the, our April issues out at the moment. Uh, always uh, 
featuring you know some uh, unique master stories, and uh, yeah, that's uh, where we'll be. But I'll be uh, firmly in. I'm not over there this year. I'll be firmly ensconced on the couch from Wednesday evening through Sunday. Very nice. All right, Barry. Thanks so much for your time. I'm going to play out, play out today with uh, First Time at Augusta. That's a little compilation that Golf Digest put together of just people who've been there, from movie stars to players. Uh, just know how special this place is. If you do want to play a bit of uh, Augusta Magic this week, I do have a pool in Superbrew. If you go on to Superbrew, find the bounce pool for the Masters. If you top that pool, you get to win yourself a pair of Puma Ignite Titan Tour golf shoes, the same ones that Ricky Fowler will be playing in and maybe winning in. So take Barry's picks, and uh, yeah, next Monday we have a full breakdown of this. Otherwise, look the bounce at CO.ca for the rest of the week and uh, at Follow the Bounce me on Twitter. Catch you back next week. I remember thinking, wow, I've uh, died and gone to heaven. So many people I knew who loved golf and idolized golf, what they would pay to be in that position and what they would give to have that opportunity to stand there and just look out there. The Masters is like Wimbledon. It's like Yankee Stadium. It's like Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens or the Montreal Forum. There's something so unique about it. When you're coming up the road to the club, Magnolia Lane. Oh, my God, it's just incredible. And the grass is greener. The fairways are bigger. You come off Washington, which doesn't really feel like you're about to drive into the prettiest place in the world. And then Magnolia Lane is the prettiest driveway in the world. With this amazing framing, this tiny little bit of this white clubhouse that we kind of know so well up the end. And you get these little glimpses. There's these little kind of walkways through the, or the gaps between the buildings and stuff. And you kind of see some grass and you see some trees. And I just remember locker room straight to the windows and just seeing over. I just stared at it for like 10 minutes, I think. It was a pretty cool experience. Scared to take a divot on the first few holes. Pretty normal stories, I think, for most guys. Augusta National is really my favorite golf course on the planet. The formality of the place. At first, you feel like it's a little standoffish. It's kind of like that strict disciplinarian teacher that you had that at first you were so afraid of them, but then they turned out to be your favorite teacher over all the years. That's kind of the way I look at Augusta National Golf Club. You're never going to have the same round. It's it's the most diabolically incredible, ingenious, I mean, it's it's beauty. First time was whenever I was playing at University of Georgia. Never forget stepping up on the tee, and I was the first one to hit, shaking in my boots. I just kind of toe, kind of pushed, drew it to the fairway. I was like, all right, we got the first fairway, we're on the row. The guy I'm playing with, he steps up and he hits his drive. He hits it so low and off the heel, it doesn't get five feet off the ground. It almost hits the thing that sticks up with the pencils and everything in it. It comes literally within a foot of hitting that and ends up almost in the scoreboard to the right. It was one of the worst shots I've ever seen in my life. It kind of loosened up the day and lightened everything up, and we had a great time, but I'll never forget stepping up there the first time I ever played in my first round, actually as a professional, knowing that I'm playing. That Monday was just something else to step up on those grounds. It has so much history, but it's one of those events that when you actually get to play it, it's just, you know, it's a dream come true. That Mr. Cherkidian needed me in Augusta in 36 hours. The camera crew had missed a connection. They were going to be delayed. And Frank said, Well, there's only one thing you can do now. You're going to go out and play until they get here. I said, Well, Frank, I'm in a jacket and a tie. Next thing you know, I'm on the first tee. No warm up, no time to like lose sleep the night before about 
hitting that first shot, and I was having the time of my life. Next thing you know, we're standing in front of the 16th hole, and I'm reciting the line. It's a tradition unlike any other, the Masters on CBS. It's a great honor to have people think that you're associated with not only Augusta, but with that line. Cliffcentral.com